Hello, as always, and welcome to the A Block. My name is Marshall Ferguson. Thanks so much for being here with us as we start to turn our attention towards the month of June. Still no CFL football, but there's a lot of progress and a lot of positive momentum that I hope you are feeling as good about as I am and certainly as we are here at Canadian Football Perspective. Our thanks, as always, to Fox 40, the worldwide leaders in whistle technology, for supporting the podcast and everything we do at Canadian Football Perspective. If you want 15% off all your return-to-play whistle needs, you can visit fox40shop.com and enter the code CFP15. You're probably going to want to listen to the code there, CFP15, and use it because today we're talking about something that absolutely pertains to the return to play. It is something that you might not have caught necessarily if you didn't have your ear to the ground, you're not on social media, you're not looped into a hardcore coaching fraternity. It was the first Ontario Football Alliance partnership with the OUA, Ontario University Athletics, as they introduced the inaugural Ontario Football Mega Clinic. Uh, The name alone makes you excited about football, but it was for coaches and stakeholders at all levels. And it was held over three days, 28, 29, and 30 here in May. And it was free to all participants. Now, this is such a great idea. And this is why I wanted to give this some shine because the A Block here on CFP predominantly is an interview show. I enjoy being able to talk to people. It's a bit more of a free-flowing forum. And I like the idea of being able to give you something a little bit different each week in those interviews. But sometimes I just want to give you something completely different. And when an event like this rolls along at a quiet part of the football schedule, the season where we usually have an opportunity to head towards CFL training camps right now and start the preseason, there would be much to discuss in a normal year. But as we know, this is still anything but normal, even as we head back towards normalcy. And so today's A Block is all about the Ontario Football Mega Clinic. And you're going to hear from six different voices from around the OUA that I have great respect for. They are coaches, they are mentors, they are people that always try to get the best out of their players, but always try to treat them as people first. I know a lot of these guys personally, I've had great conversations with many of them. And I think if you're a coach, you'll get something out of this. If you are just a football fan, I think you'll still get something out of it because I really enjoyed what the Ontario Football Alliance was able to put on. Aaron Giesler, their executive director, deserves great credit for everything he's done with Ontario football in the last while. And so I wanted to start things off uh, first and foremost with somebody who comes from the OUA previously, comes from the CFL right now previously, and is in the Spring League it is Liram Hyorolahu, and you're going to hear Daryl Wheeler here as well. Of course, a Western Mustangs kicker uh, who's worked in and around the Mustangs program, talking about the relationship of kicker and holder, something that I know Liram is very religious about when I've talked to him in his time playing with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. We've got a variety of great voices coming up. Bob Mullen from the University of Toronto Blues, Tom Flaxman from the Queens Gales, Brendan Conway from the Waterloo Warriors, Todd Galloway from the Laurier Golden Hawks, Tommy Dennison of the York Lions, and Scott Brady of the McMaster Marauders. That is all ahead, but first, here's Liram on the all-important relationship of kicker and holder. For, for me right now, uh, we're at the spring league and we only have 38 guys on the roster. So meaning, and I kick and punt. So if I kick and punt, I'm most likely not going to have a punter that holds because I'm punting and I can't hold for myself. <laughs> All right. So uh, I have to, I have Ryan Mallett as my holder. And uh, if some of you guys might know him, but he also played for three years with Tom Brady and he's holding footballs. 
because of the type of guy he is. You want to find a guy that wants to do it, that wants to learn, understand how important it is to the actual game. He understands that, hey, if I can't score a touchdown, we need these three points because these are going to help us win. You know, having a guy uh, having a guy that wants to do it is will make your day uh, or your season make or miss, right? So it, you got to have one, you got to find a guy that really wants to do it. And two, if you have to bribe him with some Subway or some Quiznos or something, do it, uh, whatever it is, because this is going to make you successful, especially if you're in college, um, you know, you have to carry his paths, you have to do whatever you want to do, like help him out, make his life easy, just so you can have five, 10 minutes. And the biggest thing for, uh, for holders is actually understanding, start off slow. A lot of these guys haven't held. So have them, like when I first got to Toronto, I didn't have a, a holder. So I, I would prefer to have a guy that's never held before. And I had Logan Kilgore who, you know, never held, but every day after practice, we get a hundred snaps in. And we all started to have it, you know, go slow, catch the ball, understand where, uh, how you're catching the ball, understand how you're putting it down and just have your, uh, kind of wire your brain of how the ball should look. And you're standing over top of him, understanding, okay, this is how I want it. This is how I want it. This is how I want it. I want it more lean. And you just have to explain to them, bear with me just the first five days and you'll catch this. And then afterwards we can pick up, you know, go to the second speed, go to the third speed, go to fourth speed, and then fifth speed is game film, uh, right? Or game speed. So that's the whole point is that you want to go slow, understand. So that because you'll like a lot of competitive athletes want to go straight right away. No, let's go full. No. This is a specific skill. You want to be able to break it down, understand if I'm getting the laces in the back, what is my left hand doing and what is my right hand doing? What are my fingers on top doing? These are all some of the things um, that, you know, that we teach too, because Daryl was my holder in university because I, I got lucky. But as soon as he left, I had to, we had to teach another guy is find a guy that really wants to do it. If you have to bribe him with some food or carry his uh, stuff to the car, whatever you have to do, do it. And, and third, just, we used to do 100 snaps each day for uh, for three weeks straight. It's the whole thing of 10,000 uh, 10, reps or 10,000 hours until you uh, get a becomes a professional. Um, uh, Daryl, help me out. Uh, what's yeah, the to become an expert at it, right? Expert so at it. Yeah. Especially like you look at the hold. It's is the front knee down the back knee uh, up. Mm -hmm. um we'll put the elbow inside the knee to have track that placement use the middle or the index of ring finger we'll talk about using the thumbs like a receiver catching bring it down the yeah. eyes following and making sure the holder you know talks to the kicker the kicker is is a quarterback of the field goal unit make sure the fine details are taken care of and they communicate because the holder has to be all in and we talk about operation. You can have a great kicker, but you don't have to snap or hold. It doesn't matter how great the guy is. So it's making sure and have them understand how that versatility, even if it's a high school level or college level, how, you know, how do you catch the coach's eye? The ability to hold for lots of guys, maybe their opportunity to get on a roster because they can hold on top of playing their position. So yeah. Liam says it's yeah. getting those reps and making sure that guy's all in because you can't worry about the snap or the hold. You, yeah. you just have to focus on your job and you have to trust those guys. And lastly, to add for that, sorry, Aaron, uh, you have to understand once you get older a little bit, game management. I know when I was with Hamilton, I had Luke Tasker. He'd run 80 yards down the field, catch a touchdown. He's super hyped and excited that everyone's excited. But you have to understand, hey, I'm a kicker. You'd love to go celebrate with your teammates. But what's the next uh, play that comes up? 
field goal point after whatever it may be you have to be able to get back to your field uh, and dial in and then understand if my holder is a quarterback my holder is a receiver or running back they probably just got hit they probably just uh their adrenaline is going through the roof calm down take your time and that is on the kicker slow down your process of getting to the uh, spot wait like the refs are going to wait until they put the ball down take your time getting there because you want their heart rate to come down a little bit so they can actually focus so a lot of times, you know, you're, you got to be able to, once you get to the next level, understand these processes so that, hey, he's locked in. He does, he's not worried that he uh, he just uh, hit an ADR bomb down the field and now he, he's, you know, going uh, heads over tails and uh, not focused on the hold. So that's another thing to control your, what you can control. I've always enjoyed Liram's uh, lighthearted perspective and ability to ride the wave with whatever holder he is given. Uh, you get the sense at the start of that clip that you think Liram would like to hold for himself if he could because he's the one that knows how he likes it the best. But let's move on to defense here. Bob Mullen of the University of Toronto Varsity Blues talking about defensive back development and specifically what he looks for in specific positions for not just his defense, but the way that he thinks Canadian football defensive backfields are being crafted over the last five years. Every position in the back end is, is I think, you know, unique. Free safety, boundary half, probably the closest uh, skill set in terms of, of job description and things they do. Boundary half is obviously going to be the guy that needs to be able to handle life on an island. He's going to be the one that is isolated often against, usually against receive, uh, offense's best receiver, their ex-receiver. You know, field corner is a guy that's got to be able to deal with traffic on both sides. Field half is dealing with a lot of space. Um, Sam is is a is a tweener, a hybrid player, um, a, a demanding position. Uh, I think you've got to be a DB first, um, a, a linebacker. Um, you know, with a, you know a DB with a physical presence. But yeah, I I think you know. Every one of those positions is unique, and uh, and and often, you know, that's that's part of it is to understand the job description and 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 I think it's important as well to move guys through different positions in the secondary to see where they fit best. If that answers your question at all, Aaron. Yeah. No. Absolutely, Coach. So uh, the second question I have is. For, for guys moving from community or high school into post-secondary at the DB position, what, what is probably the, you know, maybe the steepest learning curve for them? And what can they do pre-moving to post-secondary that can help alleviate that? Well, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, in my time in the game, what is one of the things that I've noticed, you know, in, in 35, 40 years of being in the game, one of the things that has happened is that DBs are coming to the next level much better prepared than they they used to be. You know, DBs are now being coached and prepared seven on seven. You know, uh, the quality of coaching that, that young men are receiving now makes that transition smoother. I, I think, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, working working that working to make that transition smoother um you know work the physical the physical skills okay the the movement patterns agility change of direction speed strength you know those those things in the boots because the rest of it is 
going to be learned where you land. You know, you're not going to necessarily walk into a scheme or structure that is that is exactly the same as what you came from. So we, we've, you know, you, you need to understand that um, at the next level or on your next team, you're going to have to fit yourself into the scheme, the pat, the the you know, coverage patterns that that are in place there. So be open to learning, be open to coaching. In the meanwhile, get yourself best physically prepared, you know, make those boots, you know, get the boots right and, and, and then, you know, begin to work on the, the ear holes, what's between the ear holes as well. Size becoming such a key element in everything happening in the defensive backfield these days. Uh, let's move on to Tom Flaxman now of the Queens Gales. As Flaxman, I got to know him a little bit when he was the co-offensive coordinator at McMaster. After I was done there, but watching his work, I was always inspired. And he always liked to think a little bit outside the box. High-energy guy, fun to be around, knows his stuff backwards and forwards. And he's talking in this clip from the weekend at the Ontario Mega Clinic about the idea of being able to teach RPOs to younger players in drills. And this is intriguing to me because... I isolated it. I wanted to, to highlight this idea. There's a lot of concepts that we are watching on Saturdays in the United States or Sundays in the NFL that we think we have an understanding of, that maybe have a base understanding of. But as football fans, we don't truly understand how they are reading, what they are reading. And to be able to introduce that into Canadian football and to allow Canadian football to develop, you're going to have to have tools. You're going to have to have drills. You're having have to have an understanding of what you are trying to accomplish and break it down in a way that is able to be comprehended by younger athletes so that we can start from the lower levels and develop the game as this clinic is trying to do. And so here's Tom Flaxman from the Queens Gales on all things RPO from a running back perspective. And specifically, how does it change the backfield mesh with quarterbacks? For us, it really doesn't change too much from the running back perspective. The running back's executing his mesh. So, you know, and I think you've got to understand, um, you know, what, who am I reading on the play? Okay. Because an RPO to me, like, I think when, when you start talking about RPOs, you're talking about reading backers often. Or RPO to me is still, you're still reading ends as well. Like, I mean, there's a lot of different variety to the RPO piece. I don't think it changes a lot for the tailback specifically. I think it's something you need to practice in your mesh periods. You need to give your quarterbacks those read keys, especially if they're reading that backside backer, okay? Because it's a different read on a backside backer than it is from a defensive end standpoint. And I know guys spend a lot of time drilling that end read, that zone read that so many teams have, have run for so many years. You need to spend a lot of time drilling the RPO read from the quarterback standpoint. Does it change your running back's technique? No, it wouldn't change our footwork. It wouldn't change our mesh. The only thing that would change is where the quarterback's eyes need to go, and that does require a lot of practice and a lot of drill work. And as we all know, if you're going to end up having running backs learning the RPO systems and using them more frequently, as we see in the OUA more and more these days, the OUA linebackers are also going to have to figure out how to defend the run-pass option. The idea of being able to use the old-school keys of, well, there's a pulling guard. Those days are gone. Brennan Conway is coach with the Waterloo Warriors and a great follower of us here on CFP as well. And this is an interesting perspective he has on how it's out with the old and in with the new on defensive keys and teaching your linebackers how to react to being read, a situation they didn't used to have to deal with. Yeah, patience. Um, there's, not a, there's not a whole ton of uh, 
fast triggers anymore, right? Where we can just come downhill and inside zone. Um, again, certain plays, if you know, if the run, the big one, and I said it on the early, on the earlier clip, right? If the running back's away from me, um, say I'm in the will and the running back's on the strong side of the quarterback, I'm, pro I'm not going to be the read man on this play um, unless that guy, unless that quarterback has eyes in the back of his head. Um, you know, there are the, some OCs out there, I'm sure, that have those kind of drawn up. But for the uh, basic principles, you're not the read man. So you can be maybe a little more fast trigger on it um, versus if you're on that tailback side, you're going, you're probably a read man. And uh, once we're at our level, that's almost, uh, you know, uh, absolute at this point. Um, so it's patience. And then once you know whether it's did quarterback pull it, get to get to your job. If the running back has it, okay, now I got to defeat that block. And so that's where a lot of the, I, cause I used to be very fast trigger with my linebackers and obviously had to adapt and adjust as uh, RPOs kept coming and coming and coming and coming at us. Um, so that's where kind of the shake comes into play. That's where I don't have it here, but speed rip where it's just rip across the front of his face, almost the opposite of the backdoor rip where you just come right across his face and run, um, because you're behind the play because sometimes when there's a guard pulling in front of you, now you got to sit there because you're a read man. Right. And, uh, but then they hand it off. So now you gotta go be a part of the tackle. So, uh, you know, there's, uh, a lot of the engagement ones like power rip is good for inside zone, um, or for your front side of a play. Um, and even, even inside zone backside, you can't do it. Um, but, uh, the, the shakes, that's where those came from, you know, being at depth because you're having to be patient and hold your ground, you're going to have a old lineman at depth to deal with. You got to make, you got to be elusive a little more. And that's where the shot can happen too. The shock used to be one where it was stay tight, um, all the time. Uh, now it's hey, just pop them and get, get, get rid of them. Right. We don't necessarily want to engage and stay engaged with them. We want to pop and get rid of them because, we're meeting the alignment a lot later or a lot more downfield than we used to. Great stuff there from Coach Conway of the Waterloo Warriors. On the other side of the rivalry, of course, Kitchener-Waterloo, you've got the Wilfred Laurier Golden Hawks, and that's where Todd Galloway is working these days after stops, of course, in Guelph and McMaster. He's working with Michael Falds at Laurier, and this clip is about the waggle, teaching the waggle. And this might be pretty rudimentary if you are a coach or somebody who loves the CFL. You might just be thinking, well, you run to the line, the ball comes up. But Galloway breaks this down in a way that explains it's much more than that, especially when you are trying to time up your routes and route combinations with the waggle. Of course, one of the more unique and wonderful parts of Canadian football. Yeah, and it's a great question. And the waggle provides so much more fluidity but provides things that are really, if you have a rigid system, it, it can be hard to time some of that stuff up. And so we, we walk, um, just like even some of our routes, even if we're in a standstill, like we will um, time up and we will walk it first. We will half speed jog our waggle second so that they can then figure out, um, and, and it also depends if I'm a full cadence team, is there a certain trigger word that I take off on so that now I know that I'm running and I'm going to hit A, that bounding over the line of scrimmage correctly, but B, if you want that certain foot up at the line of scrimmage, I know what trigger word. Um, if you're using a quick cadence and you're going off of your guy's arms and, and stuff like that, right, um, we, we jog it at 50 and we kind of pace it out. And I equate it to almost like, um, think about a long jumper. Right. And so a long jumper is going to have it down to a pace that he's going to end up taking like 60 paces at full speed and be able to jump off of his dominant foot on the board every single time. Right. And so if it's really important for them to have the right foot up, um, we will then say, OK, well, I'm going to say I want you at 
I need to be at seven and a half yards if I'm going to do it this one. My waggle maybe needs to be at eight if I need to be launching off my left foot. And so as long as your cadence um, is, is consistent, then you can time it up that way. I hope we never lose the waggle. It is such a fun part of the game. I actually miss it so much watching week in, week out, throughout the summer and the fall throughout last year, being able to see everybody time it up and the creativity and imagination that it gives you. June Jones used to always love the idea of the waggle, and he tried to use it to his best advantage when he was coaching in the CFL with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I always enjoyed his enthusiasm for it. And a big fan of June Jones is our next clip. It is Tommy Dennison, the offensive coordinator of the York Lions, and this clip is talking about off-season development for quarterbacks, uh, something that I always struggled with when I was playing university football. I always wanted to lift more, or I always wanted to throw a billion balls in the off-season, and there's always this question of, well, how much is too much, and what should we actually be working on? And Tommy is a master of all things quarterback discipline. He has a great answer for you on how he's talked to people about it, and he's trying to find an answer in his own study of the game. You know, and had a lot of really, really great conversations with our strength and conditioning coach, uh, Coach Sam Miles Frain, about it. You know, lifting for quarterbacks is still such an area that people are uncomfortable with or, you know, aren't, you know, we, we you know, we recognize that quarterbacks are different and their strengths are different than a linebacker or a running back, or certainly an old lineman and even a receiver. And I think that, um, you know, we need to tailor the workouts to that. Obviously we want them strength and conditioning. Uh, we want to make sure they're long and lean and that they're athletic. Um, when it comes to throwing in the off season, you know, I think, you know, touching on it a little bit about, you know, minimizing the amounts of throws, maximizing the things that they can do with their feet in the off season to put themselves in a real, you know, really good position to throw, um, you know, working, you know, when we get that 25 minute period in Indy or 15 minute of Indy, depending on the practice day, it's so difficult to provide that time for fundamental skill development, like, you know, quick feed or pocket management. Like those are things that have to be done in the off season. And, you know, first of all, it gives us the opportunity to, you know, get an anaerobic workout and all those things that we need to do in the off season. But it also gives us a path and a journey for us to get better and actually use those skills uh, and, and, and focus that time on those skills in the off season that we're not going to get to use in the in season as much. We do want to throw year round. Uh, it's super important that we do. But it's also, you know, important to understand that, you know, we're talking about, you know, as young as 12 and as, as old as, you know, 24 right now when we're talking about university players, um, young arms that are developing. And, and, you know, we look at baseball pitchers now and we see, you know, how much Tommy John surgery and how much, you know, how much surgery is happening and how much, you know, the taxing that's happening to, to arms. And we watch, you know, I mean, log on to any Instagram account of any quarterback coach across North America right now, and you're going to watch off-timing throws that are torquing, you know, shoulders and elbows like crazy um, because it sells, right? Like when I watch it, it's impressive. Like, I, 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 you know, I'm as guilty as anybody when I watch it and being like, wow, that kid, can, that kid can sling it. And, you know, that's a kid we want. Um, and I want to get to know him better. Like he, like he can do all the things that we would want him to do. But the question is, how well does he do the things that we need him to do? Um, you know, and, and so, you know, to me, you know, when you're 14, 15, 16, just working on, you know, you know, throwing on time, making, you know, reads that are, you know, easy and understandable and getting really great at it and being an accurate passer and getting your feet together and, you know, being, uh, organized in your thought when you're at the line of scrimmage, those are things that are, you know, really going to make the difference for you. 
Um, and again, I understand the, the dynamic and why it sells. And, and again, I'm as guilty as anybody when I watch it, but you know, those are the things that we should be working on in the off season, I think specifically. It sounds basic, but it's tough to accomplish what Tommy Dennison is talking about there, being able to work through progressions and doing that in the off season, especially during a pandemic where you're not able to get through a lot of workouts on field with your friends, your teammates going up against full-size defenses, 12 on 12, but it is a great message nonetheless, as is this, our last speaker of the day from the Ontario Football Mega Clinic. It's Scott Brady of the McMaster Marauders defensive coordinator extraordinaire. And I love this first clip. He's talking about defensive goal setting, specifically within your staff, with your own coaches. And of course, that trickles down to your players. But what do you actually give your players and staff as metrics that say, here is how we are successful? Because everybody looks at wins and losses, but as we all know, there can be some bad wins and there can be some really good character building losses. So what do you give your team to try to make them understand when we are being successful? Yeah. So I think it goes back to the Sunday meetings and teaching them like when you can give them actual numbers that if you can win the explosive play margin by one and you win the, the takeaway margin by one, that's a 98% chance of winning the game. And then they can actually see that show up in the results on the field where, okay, we won this weekend. And the reason we did that is we only gave up two explosive plays and we had four takeaways. Then you go out there on the practice field, everybody in the program, players, coaches, they're all bought into it. So the players are reinforcing it to each other. You got to catch the interception. Don't just get a sack. You got to tomahawk the back arm and get the ball on the ground. The coaches understand the importance of it. So it, like, it becomes everything that you do in the program is hammering those points because everybody starts to believe that this is what's going to allow us to win games. It's not that we're so immensely talented or anything like this every single person in the program becomes bought in that these are the most important things in our world. And it, it just naturally starts to recycle through practice and through meetings because everybody is so bought into these are the things that are going to allow us to win games. So it, it takes time to build to that. And it, it doesn't happen the first time that you put it up there. But as you start to turn, as, as you start to see success and the things that you're emphasizing can be shown to directly correlate to the success that you have on the field, it, it really just becomes something that everybody believes in, buys into when they start to reinforce themselves. And the final clip that I have for you here today on the A Block, it is Scott Brady once again talking about meshing philosophy of what your defense does best against stopping what another team does best and whether or not you can balance those two things off against each other. With a follow-up question by Aaron Giesler, again, the Executive Director of Ontario Football, who's done a great job putting together the mega clinic here that we've been able to highlight some of our favorite pieces of. Talking about recruiting and building out your roster and how you actually build a defense around systems specifically it's a great football answer from Scott Brady and a smart question from Aaron. Enjoy. Yeah, so I, I do think they go together. I, with most things, there's multiple ways that you could stop something. But the starting point for us is in the offseason, when we're generating our playbook, or really at this point, you're, you're like building on your playbook, you want to create as big a menu of things as you possibly can. And you may not use some of them for like three, four years, but you have them. Um, and you spend your entire offseason building on those things. You have an idea of the opponents that you're going to see, you know, year after year, you have an idea of who your best players are. And so when you go into spring camp, you're going to focus on things that are likely to be core concepts for you. But then when you actually get into the season, when you get into the prep week, 
okay, this team does a lot of this. What are the best answers that we have in our playbook? Not necessarily things that are currently installed that also fit what our guys do well. And then let's go teach those things. The other part with that is sometimes what you do well. So we talked about, you know, trying to attack their weakest protector. How can we get their weakest protector on our best? Some years you're going to have a Sam who has a really, really good feel for blitzing or a weak half who's got a really good feel for blitzing. Okay, so we know that that running back is going to be on the weak side of protection a lot of time this week. Our best blitzers are weak half. He's got a great feel for the disguise and the timing and brings it with a ton of tempo. So, I mean, we could attack that by bringing the will and the mic. We could bring the half and the corn, but let's make sure that we get our best guy matched up on that running back. So you want to have a big enough menu of things that you can pull from. You never want to lose sight of what your guys do best and who your best players are. Um, But they really just, they feed off each other. It's the same thing with coverage. Like some years you're going to be, better in man coverage or worse in man coverage in other years. The personnel is never going to be the same. The team's never going to be the same, but if you're having to come up with new stuff in the heat of the moment, it's really, really difficult. Um, and so I think you want to have as much of a base as possible developed in the off season. And then you're just installing week to week, what you, what you need. So coach, one of the things that's, you know, maybe more unique to your level than, the, uh, the younger levels is that you get to have a, a little bit more of a say in how you build your team and, and the guys that you bring in. What, what are the key pieces that you're looking for in building a defense when you recruit guys and, and what strengths are you looking to really reinforce on the defense? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that that's partially true because of recruiting. I do think that um, a big, and a lot of this goes back to my time in Mount A But I think a big thing that Kelly helped me with early on is when you're coming up or creating your system and you're coming up with as many things that you want to do, you can't just rely on the fact that you're going to have exactly what you want or the best player at every single position. You have to come up with things that are going to be allow you to be successful year after year when you don't necessarily have the talent or the pieces that you want. And I think one of the reasons that we've been more consistent and and some teams, they cycle quite heavily. They have, they're really good when they have players who fit their system. They struggle a little more when they don't necessarily have the talent they want because they're reproducing the same system year after year after year. If your system's not flexible enough to fit the guys that you currently have on your roster and what they do well, you're going to have those up and down seasons where, you know, when you're good, you can compete with anybody, but when you're bad, maybe you're missing the playoffs, whatever the case is. If you want to be consistently good year after year, you can't just rely on having exactly what you want. You have to have enough answers that allow you to take advantage of what the guys in your program currently do well. The other one is you can't rely on having your 12 best guys every single week. So and this is this was one Greg was very good at is okay, this scheme is cool if we've got all 12 guys there, but what happens when we lose two halfbacks and we gotta have like our eighth or ninth best DB go play field halfback for us? Now are we gonna run all these match coverages that we have in? Or what is that guy going to be able to do? And so you always have to have a consideration for like, are we gonna be able to still do this if we have two injuries in the course of a game? And if you lose half your scheme when you're doing that, that's tough. And like those things to me correlate to high school football because you don't get to choose your players. You don't get to recruit. You have to adapt to what you have year after year after year. 
And so for some people, the thought would be simplify, reduce as much as possible as they can learn. I think it's the opposite of that. You want to have a big enough menu of things that you can pull from. And then once you see what you do have, pick and choose the things that are best for the guys that are currently in your world and will allow them to be successful. And then teach it in a way that is simple and clear enough that if somebody has to go in and do it and that hasn't gotten as many reps as somebody else, they can still accomplish that. A lot of that comes down to teaching the why, right? So not just saying you're running this in this play, but here's what we're trying to do anytime we run cover three, when we run our quarter stuff, when we run our plus one pressures. And like, we'll tell this to our guys all the time, every single week, like as much as we game plan, the other team is game planning just as much for us. And we're going to see six to eight novel things that we've never seen on film every single week. The only way that you can be successful when you see those things is if you understand why you're doing something and you understand the purpose behind it. If you do understand that, and again, like we'll talk about a, an inside blitzer, it doesn't matter if you've ever seen this run scheme before. If you understand I'm not in contain, so I'm gonna wrong arm anything. It doesn't matter if you've never seen this blocking scheme. This guy comes to block me. I know I'm not the contain rusher. I have to wrong arm it. And you know how to play every single blocking scheme that you've seen. And, and But it has to be taught in a way that guys can do that and react to novel looks in real time. And I, I think that directly carries over to high school football as well. That is going to do it for the A Block today. Thank you to Ontario Football, the Mega Clinic, for putting that on. Riddell for being a sponsor of everything they're doing there. And the OUA for powering that. Liram Hirolahu, Bob Mullen, Tom Flaxman, Brendan Conway, Todd Galloway, Tommy Dennison, and Scott Brady to end things off for you there. I hope you learned something. I certainly did. I enjoyed a lot of it. And if you'd like to be able to get the full version of this, it's long. It's about 13 hours over two days. But you can go through, find the speaker that you thought was most interesting from some of the short clips that I played for you here and you can enjoy their full presentation. It's available for free online on YouTube, and we will send out the link to that in the bio description of the podcast. And of course, on our social media, we will share that for you as well. Our thanks again to Fox 40 helping us out with all things here at CFP. 15% off your return to play whistle needs. Visit fox40shop.com and enter the promo code CFP15. And if you like free things, you like discounts, and you like beer, why not? Because after a long day of hanging out and talking football and all these Zoom calls, you might want a cold one. Sada City Brewing Company is offering brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door. You can visit their website at sadacitybeer.com to shop their wide variety of brews and to learn more. And this May, it's the final day of May, guys, listeners are getting an exclusive promo code. Use CFP during checkout. You get free shipping on all orders over $100. Do it today. We don't know how much longer the promo code is going to last. We might keep it into June. We'll see. But for now, shipping is available to Ontario residents only. You must be of legal drinking age. Go ahead and use that promo code CFP and get yourself free shipping on all orders over $100. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to the A Block here on Canadian Football Perspective. Wade and Connor have a great show lined up for you on Tuesday. Myself and Derek Taylor on Wednesday, we've got the breakdown as we start to zero in on some training camp battles heading towards the start of the 2021 CFL season.